Big week? Huge week. <laughs> Couldn't resist. What do you mean Sorry. huge week? We didn't even record. <laughs> well, it, was a, it was a huge ever. week. It was a huge week for most of the neutral hosts. For, yeah. for the majority. <laughs> oh, man. A- and we went on a vacation together and did not kill each other. No, this was good. This was uh, this was for both you and Tiff and Aaron and I. It was our first couple's vacation, uh, not only with each other, but in general. And I, I think we survived. And I know Aaron and I had a really gosh darn good time. And, uh, and so I hope, hope the same can be said for you guys, although I think we're about to find out the same can be said for you, regardless of whether or not we were total <laughs> turds. So. Well, in fact, uh, my wife uh, has, has suggested that uh, she misses you guys during breakfast every morning now. Ah, oh, see? Same thing here. So we at least like you during breakfast. <laughs> that, that was it, though. <laughs> that, that was the only part. Every other time, totally sucked. Now I feel like I should have come just to show you what it would be like traveling with someone who does not make your time more fun. <laughs> you, you, won't, you won't get the bad impression of, you know, like, what it's like to, oh, this is great. Couples vacations. We should go on this all the time. And you would have been in the middle seat, which would have been even more funny. Because you would have no, been even more have miserable. Everybody. No, but see, for... Uh, I Tiff did a, a tweet about this, but it would have been so much more true for me. Uh, I can't be in... I get motion sick very easily. I can't be in a car while you're racing around like a maniac. <laughs> well, both I, of our know. wives... Um, both of our wives claim the same problem, and yet it was a problem for neither of them when they were in the, when they were in the back seat. Well, Tiff said that she was almost puked tweeting something once. From I the Nürburgring. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Hold on. We're, we're getting ahead of that, ourselves. That, that, we're getting ahead of ourselves. All right. <laughs> Vomit ruins everything. <laughs> Title. I I tend to agree. <laughs> it tends to. Yeah, you've got a kid now, you know. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. So we should hell. probably explain what what the heck we did. And uh, I don't know if we if we adequately prefaced this in previous episodes, but uh, we di- we did previously talk about how I had chosen for my next car. Um, after much deliberation, I had chosen to go all out and be totally ridiculous and get my dream car, the M5. And one of the reasons I was able to do this is because of BMW's European delivery discount. And what most people... I, I wish I had known about this. So, so there, there's two things that you can do to save money on a new BMW besides um, just good negotiation, which you should also be doing. One of them which I still couldn't take advantage of, is if you join the BMW Car Club of America. It, what, Casey, what does it cost? It's like the 30 or 40 bucks? It was 48 I think, something like that. It was okay. between 40 and 50 So they have a rebate program through BMW. Like BMW supports this car club of, of fans um, in, in a few little endorse, endorsement ways. If you are a member uh, of this thing for at least a year, before you take delivery of a new BMW, either to lease or to buy, uh, they will give you a credit. And, and, and the, the amount of the credit depends on which model you buy. But like a 3 Series, the credit is $500. Uh, 5 Series, I think it's $1,000. So if you plan to buy a BMW at least one year from now, you should really go join the BMW CCA. You'll get a cool magazine every month, etc. So And then because you, know, you pay the 48 bucks, and then you save like $500 when you buy the car. Um, so that's one way to save. The other way to save is if you do European delivery on the higher priced models, you end up it ends up being such a savings that it actually can pay for the trip. And and so and and you know even if not, you still get a very heavily discounted vacation out of it. So um, 
basically European delivery shaves off about 7% off the cost of the car if you negotiate it um, equally with how you would have negotiated uh, a regular purchase. So you can go online, you can find uh, what the invoice prices are through all the BMW forms and everything. You, you can find European delivery invoice prices versus regular invoice prices, and you can see the difference is usually about 7%. Uh, and, and a common myth is that this is because when the car is imported, then it's used instead of new, and then the tariffs are different. From what I've read on various wikis, that is actually a myth, and uh, the actual difference in tariff is negligible, and that it's mainly cheaper because you're bypassing a lot of the dealer network. Anyway, so European delivery is basically you fly over to the main factory slash office slash showroom world thing in Munich, Germany, and you pick up your car in Munich, you drive it to any of a number of different ports, or you can drive it right back into Munich or just leave it there, and, uh, and then they put it on a boat for you and ship it back to the U.S., and then you get your car like you know, a month and a half or two months later. So by doing that, I, I saved 7%, which is, and so, so I, I got a really great deal on this, so I decided let's go all out and get the ridiculous M5. Uh, and so... I was joking with Casey about bringing him and his wife along on this trip probably for, what, two years? Something like that. Well, we actually did it, and uh, it turned out great. As we said, we didn't kill each other. In fact, we still like each other quite a lot, as far as I know. And, as far uh, as I knew. Yeah, it was awesome. So this this uh, episode of Neutral, which we've, we've declared to be uh, the final episode, um, at least for now, possibly ever. We don't know yet. You know, maybe there might be a season two someday, but you know, probably no, 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 there's no guarantees of that. Uh, is that fair to say? I think that's fair, John. Yep. So uh, this might be the final episode. It's at least the final one for a while, and we decided this would be a great ender to to uh, basically recap this trip and and what it's like to take a European delivery vacation and and, and how the M5 is. Uh, in various situations, and and just what this was like, and uh, Casey and I both profusely apologize to John in advance for how wonderful this is going to be for him. <laughs> it's I, so true. I, I don't like to travel though, so it's I, every time you talk about travel, I just think about how miserable I would be doing it. <laughs> but it would be so great to be there listening to you be miserable. Oh yeah, you, you think that now, but uh, <laughs> I say no. I like the car, though. Does that count for something? Oh, you don't even know, John. You oh, don't man. even know. I don't like the color, though. Black? Yeah. What would you have gotten? It's an attractive car. I wouldn't have picked black for it. Would you have picked white? <laughs> I'd like, kind of like that blue. Yeah, Which yeah, one? like the, the one that's in all the press shots. The, yeah, the, the lighter. I, I don't, I don't mind that. I don't know if I would get it in that color, but I, but like I said, I think this is a very attractive car, and there's no re- no reason to hide. So having black. having seen <laughs> having seen most of the colors that's available in in person at some point for various things. Um, I, I think the blue and the orange that it comes in are actually tied for my favorites. That orange looks orange, really... Well, yeah, I like the black better than that. It, it, the orange looks really nice in person because it looks almost red. And, and so it's just a little bit towards orange, uh, com, you know, from red. And uh, it's, a, it's actually, it, again, in person, it's a very, very nice color. I would say it's just as good as that blue. And if I were more of a showy, flashy person, I would have gotten it in one of those colors. Uh, but I'm not, and so I got it in black. And I happen to like black a lot. You know, I, I've mentioned in the past how I don't think I could ever really drive around like in a Porsche or a Lamborghini or anything crazy like that. You know, even if money were no object, just because I don't, 
I, I don't want to be that conspicuous. I don't think they let you buy it if you say Porsche too. So <laughs> sorry, everyone can please email John the proper pronunciation of that. Um, so you know, I, I I don't like big flashy cars. I like nice cars that happen to be really fast, but you know, to the, to the casual observer, it looks like every other nice car, like not not like a crazy sports car. I think the casual observer is going to notice those wheels. That's all I'm saying. Maybe. Well, you know, a lot of cars now are getting bigger, sportier wheels, uh, e- even even pretty far down market. So, uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much. I think these still stand out. I hadn't noticed the wheels that much until you started posting pictures of yours, and I'm like, oh, well, now now I'll know if I see an M3 or M5 because those jump out at me. <laughs> well, you know what's like, even what's even crazier. So, uh, it is still quite wintry over in Germany, and uh, and because they require snow tires. In certain conditions, uh, through April fifteenth, uh, we had to rent snow tires for this. And, and there's there's a great program that BMW officially authorizes and works with, run by like one guy who just happens to love doing this stuff. And and from what I gather, he doesn't really make much money on it, but uh, he just he he does snow tire rental for European deliveries for cars that don't come with all season tires. So uh, which is all, I think all the M models and some of the M Sport packages on regular cars. So. Anyway, um, so what you saw was actually the snow tires, and those were only, I believe, nineteen-inch rims. That's right. And and the ones I'm the, the the regular summer tires are twenties, and so the regular ones will be, and, and they're a similar design, um, but but twenties instead of nineteen. So they're even more outrageous, even bigger, even even more obvious and sporty to everyone except uh, past Marco. Uh, who, as I mentioned in in previous shows, I've never noticed wheels uh, before about six months ago. And the funny thing is when there was a time where we needed to know how fast we could go on the snow tires, and we'll get to that in a minute. And so I looked at these snow tires, and they were freaking Pirellis. They were Pirelli snow tires. And uh, that to me just strikes me as insane. They're 19-inch Pirelli snow tires. That, that's absurd in every possible way. Why is that, out of curiosity? Because I'm not, I'm not enough of a tire nerd to know I why mean, that's I don't, absurd. I'm not a big tire nerd, but Pirellis, generally speaking, are not cheap tires. And... And so here it is that you're not getting some like Falcon snow tire or something like that, you know, some crap brand. It's Pirelli's. You know, do, John, doesn't uh, doesn't Ferrari use Pirelli's a lot or am I making that up? The, the competition among tire manufacturers to get like the, uh, you know, the prestige appointments, like I, I, I get the impression that uh, each round for each new car and each sort of prestige car maker, they just sick the tire makers against each other. So I'm always surprised when, you know, like somebody like Goodyear ends up on like some supercar. It's like because they, they just beat everybody out for whatever they were willing to do. But uh, but yeah, Pirelli has been heavily featured in Italian performance cars and many performance cars for many years. Like it's got a reputation as a performance brand. And you did, think did of you them say, making... Did you say Italian? I did not. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty darn sure. All right, sorry, continue. I think you did. I'm going to have to play it back. Italian performance cars, Italian performance cars, Italian, Italian. Uh, I mean, if I did, <laughs> it was my mouth betraying me. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so they have a reputation for making performance tires. And so when you think about, oh, I'm going to put on the winter tires, you think you're going to get a brand that does not have that reputation. Of brand exactly. That, that makes all season tires or just like every man tires. And like, really, what's the point? Pirelli's whole thing is, like, you know, high performance, high speed. Uh, great grip but it's like well in the winter i don't want to really be going that fast and i want though i want a different performance characteristics in terms of gripping onto snow and uh but yeah i do know they do make winter tires because occasionally i see 
them advertised or mentioned in car magazines. And they're not cheap. I mean, for reference, I, I have here what BMW charges for the the uh, rim and tire sets, and and this is uh, for for both for all four wheels a rim and tire set for this this nice big nineteen inch uh, rim, and their Pirelli W two forty Soda Zero S twos. Uh, total price is like thirty two hundred. And those are staggered, right? So the rears are bigger than the fronts. I didn't even look. Come to think um, of it. I know, actually. I don't. I don't believe so. Let me just double check here. No, no, they're, they're they are square. Normally, the in, on summer tires, the car is staggered. Uh, the rears are way wider, but the the winter tires are uh, square. Anyway, so um, I, I forgot where we even were in the story. Anyway, we we were in Germany driving fast. <laughs> so well, no, the, so the anyway. The, the thing that, that cracks me up about this trip is that uh, – so Aaron and I drove from Richmond, Virginia up to uh, Marco and Tiff's house because we wanted to make sure that we were all going to be on the same transatlantic flight. So if somebody gets doomed, we're all doomed. And we were going to fly up to JFK and just meet you guys in the airport. But as it turns out, it was about the same money for the two of us to go to JFK by plane as it was for one of us to go to Munich by plane. And so we were like, you know, the, the heck with it. We'll just drive up. Well, we arrive there, and, and I pack terribly. And Aaron is a lady, so by definition, she tends to pack a lot. And I apparently am a lady as well. Um, email Marco. So anyway, so Marco <laughs> and I look at all of our luggage and realize this could be an issue. And so what do two, two nerds do when they are posed with this sort of problem and they don't want to get to Munich and realize, oh, crap, we can't fit it all? So, John, wait, John, what would you have done in this situation? That's a good you, question. You Thank fear you. you might have too much luggage and you don't really know how much the car will hold when you get there. What do you do? I would have thought of this before packing. I don't think I would be in a situation where I had completed packing and then started looking at this stuff and thought, hey, wait a second, we have to fit all this in the car. No, I, I would plan ahead. I, I can pack so, light. Aaron and I kind of did that, but, but carry on, Marco, with what you and I concluded. Well, we were you know, four adults with four large square suitcases, and we know that cars don't have infinite space and that it would have been fairly uncomfortable uh, for whoever was sitting in the back seat at the time, which turned out to be Casey and Aaron most of the time, uh, or almost all the time, actually. Sorry. But uh, uh, we, would, we knew it would have been fairly uncomfortable to be sitting with somebody's giant rectangular suitcase in the back seat with you. Um, so we decided, well, we know that the car I'm picking up is a 5 Series. Let's just go to a dealer with all of our luggage and put it in the trunk of a 5 Series and see if it fits. I would not have done that. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we certainly did. And the worst part is, and this is, this is kind of to build on what you were saying, John, is that Aaron and I packed one suitcase each, but they were reasonably large. I don't remember a number off the top of my head. But we knew enough to realize this could end up badly. And so what we ended up doing was putting in the back of our car two smaller suitcases. So if, if desperation came we could swap the two small guys for one big guy, thus leaving us with one large suitcase and two smaller suitcases instead of two large suitcases. And sure I would enough, have suggested uh, duffel bags. That's what I would have suggested because they're squishy and you can fill more of the trunk volume. I did suggest that. However, you know, take, like packing a duffel bag, it's like, like who... Who's going to be the one to pack a duffel bag? You know, nobody wants that. <laughs> you can get, like, duffel bags that have, like, a kind of a stiffer bottom where your clothes won't be entirely... It's not like you're just taking... It's not like a laundry bag where you just jam your clothes in there. It can be done. <laughs> well, yeah, but that, that would have out. required somebody buying a whole new luggage just for this. Yeah, exactly. You don't have... You, none of you guys have 
I like have some sturdy old, duffel bags. I don't have sturdy ones. I have some like college duffel bags somewhere. Right. Yeah. Everybody has those. But yeah, so we ended up going to the BMW dealer. This was Friday afternoon. No, Saturday morning. Saturday morning, we end up going to the local BMW dealer and going to. Then they actually had an M5 in the showroom in a white. white one, a white one. I was very pleased. <laughs> uh, and we spent, terrible. It, shut up. So we spent <laughs> we spent a solid half an hour playing Tetris in the trunk, and surprisingly, none. Nobody at the dealer gave us any lip about it. Nor did we get that many cross looks or side eyes or anything like that, which I was very happy about. Well, it was like it was like nine in the morning. They had just opened. That's true. And, and I, I had I had spent the better part of the entire week beforehand in that dealership doing paperwork and finance stuff. So they, I think by that point they they were very comfortable with me doing weird things in their dealership. So yeah, so we actually we went and we we figured out how they fit and we took pictures of exactly how to do the arrangement so we would know when we got there, and uh, and it worked. So we figured it out. We we got ourselves to Munich. And it was snowing, freezing. It turns out this is like the the coldest March they've ever had on record, or something like that. And uh, it was it was pretty great. So we get there, we decided to kill. Uh, we had to kill two days in Munich uh, before we got the car because we were over, arriving. We right, were arriving on Easter, Easter weekend. weekend. Yeah. So and and in Germany, not only is Easter Sunday a holiday, but the Monday following it is also a holiday. So we had to pick up the car on Tuesday. And yeah, so so Sunday and Monday we had all day to kill. So we did the uh, BMW Welt, which is kind of like BMW World. It's like Disney World full of BMWs in a giant building and a uh, gift shop and and uh, tours and everything and and pretty cool. And then the museum across the street, full of all the old BMWs, uh, engines, motorcycles, a couple of boat engines, plane engines, uh, and then all every classic BMW model you can think of. Uh, all the M's, of course, the one M, or the the M1 rather, and uh, there was not a, there was not a one M, but but there was an M1, and uh, you know did they have favorite. Casey's favorite uh, M5. No, they did not. They did not have an E39 M5. I was very sad about that. Oh, but they had terrible. the uh, the ori- I believe it was the original M5, and I can't yeah. remember the model designation off the top of my Neither head. I, but it, it was from like '89, I think. Something like that, or maybe earlier than that. Yeah, you, you tweeted a picture of that. Anyway. Uh, so that was a blast. Highly recommended. We we killed a whole day just at the museum. Between the Welt and the museum, yeah, we killed the entire yeah. day. And and I, I can only speak for Aaron, but Aaron had said that she had quite liked the museum. And not to say that Aaron doesn't like cars or that she's not amused by museums, but I mean, let's be honest. If cars aren't your cup of tea, uh, if they don't rev your engine, haha, um, then that I could imagine that would be boring. And and I know Aaron really liked it. And Tiff certainly looked like she enjoyed it a lot as well. Yeah, she well she was enjoying taking a, a, a ridiculous quantity of pictures of me looking at engines, <laughs> uh, giving the exact same relatively blank expression in almost every picture. And uh, so, th- so that was fun. <laughs> but yeah, so the museum was a lot of fun. It's extremely well designed uh, and, and very cool, very interesting, uh, even if you aren't total BMW nerds like us. Even John, you might, you might have maybe 25 minutes of happiness in there. And that's really saying a lot. <laughs> I'm happy all the time. I'm a happy on the inside kind of clown. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. So, all right. So after that, and then Sunday we went to the Deutsche Museum, which was awesome. Uh, You know, big like science tech museum in in Munich. And that was fantastic. And we only saw like half of it, I feel like. I mean, Monday. Anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we saw probably less than half of it because it turns out it's ridiculously huge. Uh, And there we saw even more engines. And we explained, we both went over to the... uh, 
torque converter hand exhibit and demonstrated to our wives separately, uh, demonstrated to our wives how automatics work and why, and they, why suck. they suck. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was an excellent moment for me. Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, so then uh, Tuesday morning, we get to go pick up the car. Okay. So we go and, and really, and so we went back to, B, to BMW Welt and we go to the premium lounge which is where everybody can wait. And they have infinite free food and free coffee and everything, and you can sit around there forever, which we later made our wives actually do for a reason that I can't discuss in the show. But uh, regardless, you go to the BMW Lounge, and uh, I mean, we weren't like taking a dump or anything. It was something else. But <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards. Um, so, so we go to this lounge, and everything – I mean – so I, I've I've went with my in-laws to buy a Lexus before, and and, I, and Tiff has a Lexus. So I, I guess that's probably a better example. Buying most luxury cars, they treat you pretty well. The experience is pretty good. Buying buying most cars, the experience is at least all right. But the luxury brands tend to go out of their way to really make it you know plush. They they give you here here's a bottle of water and let, you know let me offer you like you want a glass of wine or anything like that. I mean they're you know they go they, they go crazy. And doesn't that make you doesn't that put your guard up though? Uh, right. you, were, you weren't born in New York, but now technically, I guess you are a New Yorker. So let me train you in the ways of New York. When people start <laughs> start doing things that, to put you at ease and make you comfortable, your the warning light needs to go up because, especially when they're about to extract thousands of dollars from you. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it obviously is not applicable in this particular situation. But I'm saying that's what my instinct would be, even though I know very well, like I. You know, I'm taking delivery of a car that, you know, I've already bought and it's they're trying to make it nice because they're trying to be nice. But it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, usually, usually I'd agree with you. Like, like it makes me it makes me uncomfortable or, or rather it makes me feel like I'm getting scammed whenever it's very obvious that whatever I'm about to buy has such a ridiculously large profit margin that they, <laughs> they can, can afford, afford to, to do this <laughs> to be really like really super over the top nice like yeah. uh, then I'm like okay well I I am paying for all of this in a way and you or, know, so. or, or like it's worth it to them to put the money into that experience to distract you from how they're screwing you elsewhere right exactly <laughs> uh, but yeah with this obviously I'd already I'd already established the money and paid uh, you know established the pricing so this is just picking it up and uh and every stage of the way, and I should point out too, uh, we we were there for a little while, and we saw a bunch of deliveries, including um, Casey. What was that one series you saw that was super super inexpensive? Well, I think it was a 120 diesel, if I'm not mistaken, and it was so inexpensive. And I don't mean this to sound disrespectful or snarky or anything, but it was so inexpensive for BMW that it actually had hubcaps, which I didn't think BMW did anymore. Right, but you know uh, they have a whole <clears throat> low end of cars they just don't sell in the U.S., but they sell a lot right. of them in Germany. Which, by the way, as a quick aside, uh, one thing that Marco and I noticed that I thought was really incredible and made me very jealous was that apparently the – I would say the overwhelming majority of BMWs that we saw were not badged. So they would say BMW, of course, but they would not say X5 or M5 or 335 or whatever the case may be. There was no model designation on the trunk or boot, depending on what country you live in. And I thought that was really awesome, and I'm kind of jealous that that's a no-cost option for them. Yeah, and it wasn't just BMW. It just seemed like that, was, it just seemed like that was just more normal there. Like Many cars just weren't badged uh, or, or were minimally badged. Um, so we had to identify things by like you know the exhaust tips and things like that. Like, is that is that an option because you don't want people to know that you don't have the fanciest one? Is that the idea behind? I that? think it's I think it's because if you don't want 
either extreme. Either you don't want people to know that you have the super flashy car or that you don't want people to know that you have a 120 diesel that, that for a BMW was absurdly cheap. That, that seems so strange to me, though, because the only people who care are car people, and car people can tell anyway. That's true. Well, I, know, I just I, I, thought it clean. I mean, it could just be like a cultural thing, like a cultural preference thing. Like, you know, here we, we have pretty big divisions between smart people like us and people who let dealer badging be attached to their car forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like those people every time I'm like, driving behind one of those people, I'm like, boy, I hope you got a lot of money off that car. Yeah, the ones that have like not, you know, like, uh, you know, my dealer gives me a license plate frame. That's fine. I can take it off. Um, but the ones that actually like stencil their own logo, like on the other side of the trunk lid, opposite the real car logo, like that's they, they that's give you pla- like shiny plastic things that they glue onto your <laughs> lid, like they you know stick out. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. But like, but hey, I I can be bought. You know, give me a couple thousand dollars <laughs> off the car. I'll I'll put a permanent silver ad on your on the back of my car, and if it falls off in a year, oops. <laughs> nice. Anyway, so. Uh, and and one thing too, uh, you know, the, seeing the cars over there, uh, gas is way more expensive over there, which shouldn't be news to anybody really uh, listening to this. Um, gas is so much more expensive that not only were diesels obviously a lot more common because diesel is, is generally cheaper, but um, just overall the the engines of the cars we saw were were mostly very small, efficient engines. We saw a lot of like you know in the BMW lineup, you have like the the. 320, the 520, the, you know, the 318, the 118, like all like the small engines with the, those last two digits there. I didn't see anything above a 30. So by BMW's parlance, that's nothing above roughly a 3.0 liter V6 or I6, whatever it is. Um, and, and I don't even know what they use the 30s for exactly with the current model. Anyway, uh, there were very, very few... Uh, like large-engined, super big, high-end ones that we saw, even even out on the roads or you know anywhere, we we saw very very few large-engine cars, just because it's so it's so ridiculous over there to have one because the gas is so expensive. Um, like I like filling up filling up the M5 tank, which is 21 gallons, um, filling it up cost over a hundred euros, and, and so that's at current rates something like 120 dollars, and so it's quite a bit of money. Anyway, um, obviously, I, I think if I lived there, <laughs> that would have that would have more relevance on my decision to get one, uh, and that's why nobody does over there. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so we pick up the car, and and so the luxury was was really quite something because this is their this is like their flagship uh, place, their their flagship store in a way, and uh, and it's really like a premium experience. And the whole time, I just kept thinking like, I can't believe that I that this cost me less money than picking it up in the States. And everything, this is something that that echoed throughout the entire BMW European delivery experience. And and I really really do mean this at a a very deep level. Uh, Everyone did their job right and everything worked. And and that's, and you know, here in the US, and I don't know how many other places, but certainly in the US, uh, you are accustomed to a lot of people just screwing things up routinely a lot of things not working the way they should. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a lot of little details like, like when they bring you to your car, they bring you down this stairwell and you overlook your car and all the cars are on little spinning turntables. And when you, when you approach this overlook, the salesman who's bringing you to the car, I guess not really a salesman, the sales already been made. Anyway, the, the person bringing you to the car, uh, 
whips out an iPad and uses a custom app full of German that I couldn't understand to start a spotlight on your car and to start the turntable spinning as you approach. And the best part about it to me was that, like you said, it's on, you, you go down a level and on this landing while you're still on the stairwell, you haven't, you've gone halfway down the stairwell, that's when they turn on the spotlight and they engage the turntable. And, and I was listening to, to the delivery specialist or whatever he called himself, and he was telling you about why the car was designed the way it was. And what was even more interesting was, it to me anyway, I don't know what your impression was, but to me it didn't sound like just bullcrap sales talk. It sounded like he genuinely had researched or been taught or learned why a vent was placed there or why that you know this this line was done in this way. Totally. And I, and it was very very interesting and very cool. Yeah. And and so just, you know, every every part of it was very carefully designed, very carefully orchestrated and everything worked. It's I've never been to Disney World, but from what I understand, uh, from what people have said about Disney World, it sounds like they have a lot of the same uh, yep. philosophies there. Of like, you know, you shouldn't see any seams, and everything should always work. Like it's like they really nailed that. It is, you know, it, it, you know if that if that was anywhere in America, even at a BMW facility in America, in all likelihood, uh, you know that like there would be like one turntable that just didn't work. And so, like, you know, a tenth of the deliveries that day just wouldn't have the turntable working. And they'd have to explain that, oh, sorry, normally it spins, but I don't know why it's broken. You know, like, <laughs> you know that would happen here. Yeah, that definitely is the ethos in Disney World, but it's a lot harder to hold that line in a gigantic theme park filled with screaming children and American sure. tourists than it is in the uh, in, in the environment that you were in. Of course. But, but you know, it's it's that... It's that work ethic and that attention to detail that this needs to work correctly. Did you notice that, like, in the rest of Germany, like, that this was not, you know, the, the sort of German ethos, the, the stereotype we have over here is that every part of their society is like that, from the guy who serves you your coffee at the coffee shop to, like, the, the street signs and traffic uh, lights and, you know, everything. It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't absolutely perfect everywhere. Obviously, that that's probably impossible or at least unhealthy, but... It was surprisingly close. It really like, yeah, and we'll get into the drivers in a bit. But it was, it was surprisingly good. Just, just in general, thing like people did their jobs right and things worked. Well, and it was interesting to me as well. And I'm probably reading too much into this, but again, like John was saying, that the the American stereotype of a German is that they're very efficient, very serious, not mean or not bad tempered, but serious. And everything is very specific. And, and I don't know, I just got such a laugh over the fact that your delivery time was 9.10. It wasn't 9.09. <laughs> it wasn't 9.11. It was 9.10. And, I mean, we walked out there, I think, 9.10 on the nose. And, and it was your, right there. And it, I believe his name was Michael, was right there waiting for us. Yeah. I mean, and it I was... Know, again, it was just so delightfully German. And I don't mean that in a, just in, 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 in a sarcastic way. I mean that genuinely. I thought it was so delightfully German that that was the case. Right. Well, it, we were even joking, like, we were, a- after we had picked up the car, we'd come back to the lounge to get our stuff and, and get, like, a, get a little bit of coffee or something, and and so it was, like, 11 o'clock, and they had said, like, you know, we'll start serving lunch at 11 at, at this, oh, I at, forgot in, about in the that. premium yeah. lounge, and exactly at 11 o'clock, somebody had walked out and was repla- and was placing sandwiches on, on the buffet and everything. It was, like, exactly on the nose, 11 o'clock, bam, lunch. Like I mean, and yeah, in case you you noticed that and commented, like that that is so stereotypically German, but it's true. Like it, it that's 
and and again, you know, John, it's a good question. Like, how much of this, how much of this applies outside of this magical BMW, you know, fairy tale land? But, uh, but really, it, it did seem like, in our admittedly limited travels, uh, it did seem like that was that was more, way more the norm uh, than it is over here in the U.S. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially on the West Coast. <laughs> especially on the West Coast. Well, so, and, like, okay, like, so. and I like that a lot. Like, I, I am part German. I've always, I mean, you know, well, long ancestry ago was German. But, uh, like, I, I've always worked very well under German bosses. I had a few in my various, like, terrible high school jobs and everything. Like, I've always gotten along well with German bosses. I've always, because, like, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of nerd where if somebody tells me to be there, at, you know, to be at a party from 6 to 9, I'm there at 6. And, of course, that's not what anybody uh, yeah. means, I'm, except I'm the Germans. <laughs> I'm told you're not supposed to do that. I'm repeatedly told by my wife that we're not supposed to do that. Right. You're a nerd, so you think the same way. Like, well, it said be there at 6, so I'm be Why there Why would they six. put a time on it? It doesn't make any sense. Right, exactly. <laughs> Shoot, the hell with you guys. I'm there at 5.55. <laughs> yeah, don't want to be late. Yep. Oh, goodness. So, I'm sorry. So, we, we got di- we digressed. So, we're halfway down the stairwell. Your car is spinning, and you're getting explained to you why the lines were drawn in such a way. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, anyway, the, I mean, you know, the whole thing, normally when you when you buy a car uh, at most, most branded dealers, they will uh, take a little bit to show you all the features to go over, like, here's how you do the climate control and and uh, of course, as we've discussed in the past, with with uh, with software interfaces taking over and and with media things being able to do more and more, this process it's taking longer and longer to explain. <laughs> but uh, but you know, this guy he came down there, and so we go down to the car, and the first thing they'd have me do, and and when we when we walked into uh, this whole thing, they checked our bags. When we went down to the car, they had all of our bags ready to go into the car, right there next to it. Like, well, and the best thing was we didn't have to ask. Yeah, and, and it wasn't that they brought the bags nearby the car. Those bags were brought as physically close to the car as you would comfortably allow them to be handled by anyone other than you. And again, I mean that in a good way, not in a bad <laughs> way. They brought them directly to the trunk and had them within six inches of the trunk, so we wouldn't have to lift them any further if we didn't want to. Yeah. And the first thing they have you do is some is a photographer comes up and takes a picture of you in front of the car, uh, and we we did two pictures one one with just me one with me and my wife, and uh, and then a few seconds like a few minutes later they give you not only the printouts of those pictures that they had like gone to the back to to get they they give you the printouts and they give you a USB key with those pictures on them. Just, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, oh, I never noticed. Oh, that. now now the question: RAW or JPEG? It doesn't matter. They had a flash. <laughs> You're such a snob. I am. See, don't the Germans make amazing cameras? Why do they need the? They flash? make amazing lenses. I don't know if I don't know what cameras they make. Yeah, I uh, am. Yeah. Which, by the way, I don't remember when it was in this process that that the following happened. But I also thought it very interesting. And to build on what you were saying, Marco, about American versus German ways, uh, when we got to the car, one of the first things that happened was Michael, the delivery specialist, opened the hood and showed you the engine. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then he, good. And then he went and he got something from some cabinet. And the cabinet was delightfully um, uh, uh, simple and very clean with very clean lines. And he gets this cable out. And I notice that there's jumper leads on one end and some sort of plug on the other. And so he takes these jumper leads, plugs them into the jump location under the hood, and then under the front of the car 
perfectly under the center of the front of the car. There's this hidden little doorway where he plugs in the other end. And I presume this was done so that the car was running off the building's power. And while he was spending an hour explaining to you about iDrive and this and that and the other thing, you're not destroying this brand new battery. Yes, that's it. In fact, he explained as he was doing it, he explained that is what he was doing and why. Because he was about to launch into like this half hour demo of the stuff and didn't want and didn't want me to have a, a partially drained battery when I left. <laughs> so yeah, and and so and so when they drive these cars onto these turntables, they have to align them so that these things line up. Like it's it just every little attention to detail. Everything was was uh, was just paid attention to and was done correctly. You yeah, know, and by the way, the people who drive them from the car elevator to the turntable are wearing white gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. This thing was spotless, and it had uh, the the odometer read two when I when I first got it. So I have to imagine there was not a lot of overhead of of driving this thing around to get it where it had to go. Um, so, which actually begs the question: Well, Marco, where do they store these cars until delivery? Right, that's another thing. So we found out like the night before picking it up. Um, somebody on a forum, I'll link to it somehow. Uh, somebody on a forum uh, had gotten pictures. And then they later confirmed. Uh, we asked the people, like, kind of, we asked them kind of leading questions, and they confirmed everything the forum guy said uh, that they store all of these cars in a, in a giant uh, warehouse under where we were, and in order to prevent or, or to reduce the damage that a fire would cause, because you had a whole bunch of vehicles full of gasoline. Uh, first of all, they are only allowed to f- to put four gallons of gas in each one, which is kind of annoying when you leave, you don't have a full tank, but that's apparently some kind of regulation that, that they have to follow. But they keep these in a, in a room, a giant warehouse that is uh, dropped down to only 13% oxygen so that if there's a fire, it doesn't spread very easily. And they said, like, if you try to light a lighter, it won't even light at that, at that concentration. Do they keep the thieves out, or are the people still able to breathe? It's like being on a high mountain. I forget the exact elevation. He told us it was like at some kind of elevation equivalent, but uh, like you, you know, you'd survive, but it, it wouldn't be that comfortable. As right. they steal your car, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and they actually have like a robotic forklift truck thing that goes and fetches each car from its little holding bay uh, to bring it over to where it needs to go when when a car is requested. I mean, it's it's a it's a heck of a system. And the guy was saying they do. Roughly 100 to 130 deliveries per day. And they only have, I don't know, what would you say, Casey? Maybe like 10 turntables? Yeah, no more than 15. I think closer to 10. And they're only doing roughly one to two at a time. So you got to figure, like, this whole thing is, is quite an efficient system to be able to pump that out. Um, you know, to, to have that kind of throughput on, on uh, such relatively small um, inventory. Anyway, so or bandwidth rather. Speaking of bandwidth, this is gonna be a great time, great time to talk about Squarespace, our sponsor. So once again, this episode is sponsored by Squarespace. What is Squarespace? Squarespace is a do-it-yourself website platform. They make building a website extremely easy. The designs they start you with are both beautiful and simple. All you have to do is add your content, and you'll have a great-looking site. Squarespace sites also include responsive design. So your website will resize automatically and show up perfectly on any device, big, small, phones, tablets, whatever. Every account comes with cloud hosting, real-time analytics, a free domain, and 24-7 support. So whether you're a creative professional, business owner, or simply someone in need of an online presence, Squarespace makes it easy. So go, t- go today, right now, today, 
you know, if it's after midnight where you're listening, uh, just start when you wake up. But go today. Go to squarespace.com for your free trial. If you decide to continue with your site after that, Squarespace starts at only $8 a month. I've been saying 10 all this time. It's actually 8 Did you know that? It's $8 a month if you pay annually. If you pay monthly, it starts at 10 And these prices get even cheaper if you use the offer code NEUTRAL4 during checkout. You get another 10% off. So go to Squarespace, start your free trial, squarespace.com, and use code NEUTRAL4 during checkout to get an additional 10% off. Squarespace is everything you need to create an, ex- an exceptional website so you can focus on your business, your art, and your passions. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring once again. The whole run. The whole run. They sponsored they are, every episode. They are that awesome. They really are. So, you know, obviously, come on, guys. You owe, you owe it to them and to us. Give them a shot. You'll like it. Uh, and as a quick aside, the the turntable that we happen to be on, this, again, was another delightfully German thing that I noticed. The turntable we happen to be on had a sculpture nearby, and it took me just a moment to realize, wait a second, that sculpture is an exhaust manifold. And so while Marco was getting his uh, <laughs> dissertation on all the things about the M5, I went wandering over 10 feet away to see this sculpture a little up, uh, up close, and... It was mounted on what appeared to me to be marble, and I took a picture of the the inscription on that marble of what the sculpture was. And I'm not going to read you the German because I can't, but they had an English translation right below it, and I will read it to you verbatim. It says, BMW 10-cylinder performance manifold, 4-to-1 scale, new line. Technology in its most beautiful form. Again, so awesome. And I probably sound like I'm being sarcastic, but I really mean this genuinely. That just warms my heart so much. That, again, just so delightfully German. So anyway, so he's just plugged the car into the, into the, into the building, and you're getting your lecture. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's great. He, he sets everything up. He pairs my phone to the Bluetooth. I mean, you know, it goes through everything you know, just as well, if not better, than I've ever had a dealer do it. You know, really, really good. Uh, good intro to everything. Spoke he, great English, as oh, many excellent, did. Excellent English. That was never a problem. Um, and even like when they were when they were giving the paperwork, you know, th- that was a different person. And she was explaining, you know, if you here's your insurance, here's this, this, and this. Everything was like no deductible. I mean, it was really you know just a great setup. Everything we were very well prepared for everything. Everyone told us what was going to happen, what to expect. Like you know, with with. The, the road permits and the insurance and the paperwork and the drop-off, you know, everything we were very well prepared for. And uh, they just, everyone just did their job right. And I, I really, I wish that was just something that we could assume of everybody all the time. And it, and it so isn't. <laughs> and so uh, it, it was really quite something. So anyway, uh, finishes the tour. We're all ready to go. And, and, and again, we, and we had four people with us. You know, we had me and my wife and Casey and his wife, and that was never a problem. That was never – we they were they never made us feel like we were imposing because we had four people instead of two or two plus kid or whatever. They Everything, they just – okay, here's here's four access cars to the executor, the premium lounge, and uh, and here – and when we left, they gave us free little bottles of water. Here's four bottles of water because there's four of you. Like it was – everything was just incredibly delightful, and uh, – you know, people often. I, I got a lot of uh, responses when I when I've mentioned BMW in the past. I always get responses to the effect of, "Why do so many Apple fans like BMWs?" And and I think there is a connection there. And and you know maybe that's maybe that's why BMW cares so much about 
iPhone and iPod integration and why they've been often first to it or done it best for a while. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap there. And I think the reason why is because people who like delightful things and delightful design tend to really appreciate Apple products because Apple provides a lot of delight. And I think BMW is is that same way in, in so many regards, in so many respects. And they aren't the only ones to do to be that way, certainly. I mean, little delightful things and little delightful features are, are a lot of what makes luxury cars luxury cars. And so pretty much all the luxury brands do that, and even some of the non-luxury brands do. Um, but they really do... BMW really does nail that. They really do provide so many opportunities for delight in their products, in their service, in these experiences that they that they offer you. Like there's so much of that. I think that's why there's that overlap. Is because the same people who appreciate that in Apple products, if they are ever exposed to BMW, will probably appreciate it there too. And and will recognize that, you know, they cared about that, they did that, and and that that makes me happy. So here's a question. Why do you think they don't do this in America, this kind of delivery experience? Or, for BMW? Do, they, or do they? As far as I know, they don't. I think. Well, you talk about for BMW or for yeah. domestics. I mean, they, for, they, for they, do a, they do a subset of it. You know, like they'll, but but you know, they do the subset of it that every luxury brand does, where they'll have they'll give you know, we, as we said earlier, they'll give you the bottle of water or the glass of wine if you want, it, and they'll they'll make your experience at a dealership very helpful and very nice and and very comfortable, but. Um, this whole setup of having like the car and a turntable and everything. Right. I don't know. I don't like, I, I assume it's just because that would put a lot of burden uh, and a lot of costs on the individual dealers. Well, I would imagine I, I was thinking of like just one place somewhere in the United States so that, you know, you wouldn't have to fly overseas for, it. you know, like some, right. like somewhere near where they sell a lot of their cars or maybe it's like you drive to another state and do it. But if you want to go to the big BMW Mecca, then you can get that experience, you know, I don't, well, they don't, they don't do this in Spartan. Is it Spartanburg or Spartan? Yeah, Spartanburg. Spartansburg. I don't remember oh. if there's an S or not. But anyway, I don't think they do this at Spartanburg, do they? I don't think so. I, 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 I'm not sure if they do this or not anywhere in the U.S. I've certainly never heard about it if they have. Um, but and I think the place to do it would probably be like New Jersey. <laughs> like that's because New Jersey has lots of space and lots of car people, and it's close to a lot of people on the East Coast. And then they probably have one on the West Coast too if they did that. But and yeah, that's I've where never the heard. Port of, is isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never heard of, of that being done here. And it's a, it's a good question, John. I don't know why. But. Well, and the only thing I can say is, I, from what I recall, a couple of years ago, I want to say it was the ZR1 maybe, the new ZR1. I think that there was some program that Chevy briefly did where you could actually go in, go to Kentucky and build the yeah, motor. you would help assemble the engine. Right, that right. That's a different that's, kind of experience for a different kind of customer. But it's the same type it of is. thing. It's like, if, what do you want? Do you want to have right. this experience where it's like, well, if you're into, if you're a gearhead and you want to, it's like, wow, I got to help build, you know, the engine to my own car. And I'm sure they let you do whatever thing. It's nearly impossible to screw up. Right? What do you do? Like tighten one nut or something? Like what do you? Oh, no, they, they, they let you do, you know, the parts that are hard to screw up, but you can participate in the process. <laughs> you, you push know? a button. <laughs> uh, anyway, so after picking up the car. Uh, we did. You get to do like this little victory lap around the entire platform of, of all the turntables and where all the cars are. And to be clear, you know, Marco picked up this car on the second floor of a three-story building, <laughs> and yeah. so you know, next thing you know, I see the. Well, you signed something on an iPad. I didn't see specifically what, 
And that was the final thing I saw you sign. Yeah. And then he hands you the keys for like, you know, here, this is it. We're done. Have fun. And you're on the second story in you're inside in the second story of a, of a three story building. Right. And, and of course I'm feeling very self-conscious because I've just started up a V8 indoors and I'm thinking like, uh Oh, carbon monoxide. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they have that. It's handled. a pretty big building with a it's lot of It's a massive I building. Okay. <laughs> There's also a lot of cars being started up in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so looking at these pictures, I'm looking at like the the video of people getting delivery, like the big white floor. You know, you could probably leave some really neat tire tracks along the <laughs> just peel out. <laughs> Two black stripes as you leave the. Uh, That's what I told him he should have done, but I wouldn't have done prob- it. Either. Probably frowned upon. Well, not not only not only was I a little scared to to be frowned upon, but uh, a this was a DCT, so I was a little I was a little vague as to whether you're a neutral or not. Like, and now that I know it, I I'd be able to do it comfortably. But at the time, I was I was not comfortable enough to know. Like, if I floor it for a second, am I going to actually go forward right now or not? Um, and then the other the other thing is, it's a very not very. It's a relatively tight space. You know, when you're walking, it's very spacious. When you're driving a five series, which is a large vehicle, um, you don't feel like you have a ton of space uh, to 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 go around. <laughs> like, you know, there's there's a wall there that overlooks a showroom full of people. <laughs> so that's uh, you know, wasn't willing to take any risks there. Anyway, so you could have leaned on the horn at least. You got to represent for America <laughs> in some obnoxious way. <laughs> oh my god. I'm sure. I'm sure people do that. You do order the custom horn that uh, plays the Dukes of Hazzard theme when you hit it, or something. Oh that plays the Kukaracha. Uh, <laughs> wow. So, anyway, so we we do our victory lap. We head out, and then we just go immediately park and go back in because we what we were doing next was the factory tour. And this this is pretty cool. Uh, you can't take any pictures on the factory tour. They're very serious about that, so uh, I don't have any pictures of it, but. They actually walk you through the factory that's across the street that produces uh, something like I think they said about 900 three series cars a day. And, and I uh, saw some X5 shells as well, if I'm not mistaken. You are or mistaken. I think sort. those are making the, made in the U.S. See, that's what I thought, but they were some sort of SUV. I thought, wasn't it? Or maybe I'm thinking of the touring. They were, yeah, they were maybe. just they were just the uh, the touring slash wagon models of the three series. You're right. I, I was just kidding. I was testing you, and you passed. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, uh, just like when you when you failed to spot the uh, the new four series in the museum, the new four series design mock up. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> anyway, I did. So, um, so we do the factory tour, and and it's it's really something. If you know, if any listeners have the opportunity to go do the Munich factory tour, I I would highly recommend it. Uh, it it's really really great. It was one of the highlights of the trip for sure. And just to do they, see, do they tell you why they don't let you take pictures? No, uh, it's probably for some kind of like legal trade secrets thing, similar to how like you know one of the reasons why Apple did the iOS uh, developer NDA back in the early days was because there was some kind of technicality where like if you if if something is unpublished officially, then it, it affords you some like a little bit of extra time on the patent or something like that, or or filing for a patent, and, and so there was some kind of technicality where like. Even though everyone was breaking the NDA constantly, uh, it was as long as it was officially under NDA, then you know Apple had some legal benefit. It was it's probably the same thing here, where like obviously you're not going to see anything that's going to be like a massive trade secret or anything. You know they're not going to show everyone on the street that. But by by saying this is secret and not letting you take pictures and everything, um, there is probably some kind of 
legal advantage they get by that. But I was just asking because I'm looking at this this video I just pasted in of a you know European delivery or whatever, uh, and they do the factory tour too, and they're taking video. So why do these jokers get to do video? And you couldn't even take pictures. I just pasted. Oh, you're it in talking the about the auto blog yeah. thing. Oh yeah. Let me see. Hold on, I'm looking I, at the museum. I, I would assume. I would oh, assume it's that. because they're it's press, and so press get affordances that we don't. Yeah, get. that was probably a special deal. But that's a good question, though. Like, why? Why is that okay? Oh well, I don't know. Anyway, it was awesome. As you can see in this video, <laughs> thanks for ruining it. <laughs> As you can see in this video, uh, the factory. It, it not only is there a lot going on there, and it's pretty cool to see like all the crazy robots up up close and everything, but uh, it was impeccably clean. Oh, I would have eaten a gourmet meal off the floor of that factory, and I say that only mildly sarcastically. Like, I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. It, I, the, the floors in that factory are cleaner than the floors in my house, um, by probably by a lot. I mean, they, it, it, it like there wasn't even like like metal shavings or like a fine layer of dust from all this machining. Nothing. Like it was impeccably clean. And and just everything about it was was stereotypically German, like incredibly efficient, clever, uh, reliable, and and they you know the ex- explanations were fantastic of everything, and and we weren't just like walking on like you know one catwalk overlooking everything. We were actually like I mean there was a bit of that. But we were actually walking like right through the factory floor and walking you know ten feet away from the people who were building engines and everything. I mean it was it was pretty cool. And uh, we really saw a lot of great stuff there, and it was it was uh, extremely worthwhile. Highly recommended. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And a couple of the highlights that I thought, um, firstly, the paint process, which I guess this is covered in what, – what show was it that you said you had watched, you and Tiff? How It's uh, Made. Modern, yeah, How It's Made. And I guess a lot of this has been covered in, in TV shows and documentaries and whatnot, like How It's Made. But – I thought it was incredible the way the painting process worked. And so at one point, we're brought into a room where we see a hood. It looked to me to be a three-series hood, but it was a hood of some sort. It was an F-33 series. Okay. Or what is it, bonnet, if you're British? Is that right? Anyway, so we see this hood, and it shows like the seven different, seven-ish different stages of the painting process. And so it shows, you know, the raw metal, and then it's getting, it, get, it gets a base coat, then this and that and the other thing, and then all the way through to the clear coat. And another great example of people caring about their jobs, like Marco's been been saying all along, is that the woman who was the tour guide, somebody asked her, and I don't I don't remember how they phrased the question, but basically, hey, for what is it, Arctic? I always get frozen. the name wrong. Thank you, frozen for the frozen yeah, the paint colors. jobs, the matte colors. What do you do? Is it not clear coated, or is it? Do you just skip the clear coat step, or what happens? And immediately, without a hesitation, she said, "No, no, no! It's just a different clear coat process. What does it have? Silica in it, or something like yep, that?" Silica. I forget what the answer yep. was. And and so it was just really rewarding to have a tour guide that clearly knew what the crap she was talking about, right. and was able to answer without having to be like, "Oh, um, hmm, let me think. I've been told this once during my training program." Right. Or and like, yeah, and we know. were never there was nobody who ever said, "Oh, we can't tell you that. Like that's a secret." Like every question somebody asked, they answered, and, and maybe I'm sure there were questions we could have come up with that they wouldn't answer, but. Every like there was nothing that was like oh we can only tell you what's been approved for this tour like why does the stereo make engine noises <laughs> didn't come up we'll talk about that well the five series wasn't made in this plant this was a three series plant all right and the other, although the, the other, engine was the the V eight is made in this plant 
So the other uh, bit about the paint that I thought was incredible, and again, I guess this was old news to everyone but me, but apparently, and I'll get this backwards, but the paint is positively charged and the chassis is negatively charged or perhaps vice versa, so that when the paint is atomized and sprayed, it's actually attracted to the body of the car, which I just thought was so incredible. Right, and that way it like minimizes uh, overspray and paint waste and everything. Right, and then they had this like sl- this trough underneath the painting process that had running water beneath it, and apparently they can save like ninety nine percent of the paint in that water that that's overspray. It was really, it was really ridiculous. And then the other thing I thought was really incredible about the, about the factory tour was we were able, like Marco uh, said a minute ago, we were able to go see the engine building area, engine room, whatever you called it, which I guess is not normal because I talked to a friend of mine who had just done it a few months ago and he said he didn't see that. Well, anyway, we got to go through and see some of these engines getting built. And to be honest, I mean, it's exactly what you would expect about how an engine gets built, but just seeing it live was extremely cool. And and I I just geeked out on every moment of it. I thought it was awesome. It was interesting, too, like to hear, like, like uh, as part of the part of the tour, they they told us uh, what ratios they make these things in. They were saying like every day they make about a thousand of the new N twenty engines. Those are the turbo four cylinder, uh, the the two two point liter four cylinders that are going into all of the X twenty eight models uh, now. And and they make they said they made like twelve hundred of those a day. And then uh, they don't make the, they don't make the uh, six cylinders in this plant, but they made they they made the four cylinders, the eights, and the giant twelves uh, for the. Uh, the 760 and the uh, Rolls Royces. <laughs> they said they make like 1,200 of the of the four cylinder. I forget. I think it was like 200 or so of the eights, and then like 30 of the twelves. <laughs> so to give you some idea of why the uh, the giant V12 engines cost so much, <laughs> it's because they're making like 30 of them a day in this giant factory. <laughs> so uh, anyway. That was awesome. Highly recommended. Um, I know we're running a little long, so I want to move on to the driving part. Um, so we leave here, and the first thing we do is drive through the Alps and go to um, our next destination, which was Lucerne, Switzerland. And so we get to drive in the Autobahn for the first time. We got to drive through the Alps a little bit. And uh, oh, my God, this car is ridiculous. I mean, I, I cannot say it enough. <laughs> I was so ridiculously happy with this car. And even just having it for the few days I had it so far. Uh, oh, my God. So, first of all, the DCT, it was exactly as I as I thought it was. It was exactly as I remembered it from that track day. Uh, it was, it's just awesome. It Compared to a six-speed, this is the first thing I've ever liked more than a stick. And... and I am very, very happy I made the choice to go with it. I don't regret not having a stick, even now coming back to my stick cars uh, for the next month and a half or two. Uh, I, I don't regret making that choice at all. I'm very, very happy with that choice. Now, to that end, so at this point in our story, I have not driven the M5 yet. I'm only a passenger. And I, 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 first thing I, I want to note is that I, will, I don't think I will ever forget when we cleared Munich and all of a sudden the speed restrictions went away and you unwound that car. And <laughs> next thing you know, we we're doing, what, 110, 120 Easy. legally. Yep. Legally. And, and, and I cannot say enough good things about the German drivers because in America, as we complained and moaned in, in the episode Alternate, which was like four or six or something like that, I think it was six, um, 
American drivers, especially in Virginia anyway, they tend to think that the left lane is a perfectly permissible travel lane. And in Germany, that is not the case. People stayed right or stayed to the middle and only got left if they had to. And if and I was watching from the back seat, and if Marco was approaching quickly, someone in front of him, 80 to 90% of the time, that person got the crap out of the way as quickly as possible. And it was really unbelievable to watch. Um, but the other thing I wanted to note is that about the DCT, again, at this point, I have not yet driven it, but from the back seat, it was surprisingly good. And I was in, I've talked about this before, my friend Brian's R32, Volkswagen R32, which had one of the earliest implementations of a dual clutch gearbox. And it was wonderful when you were driving hard, but atrocious when you were just driving. And it took Marco maybe a day to get to the point that he knew, he understood the car well enough that driving around town, it was like the world's best standard transmission driver. And when you got on the gas, it was the world's fastest standard transmission driver. And from the back seat anyway, it was really, really nice. And isn't I remember. It, isn't there a full auto mode though, as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you and, use that around town, does it just drive like you know, an, an automatic? The with- only the only learning curve that I had that I had to do. Well, there's two learning curves. Obviously, there, there's the brake responsiveness learning curve, which I I think whenever anybody gets into any different car, uh, it takes them you know a few minutes at least to to become smooth on the brakes. Uh, especially when you have ridiculously large brakes like a like a high-end sports car does, um, where they're very powerful. <laughs> um, but the only learning curve I had with the DCT was when you go from zero to going. Um, you know, in a, in a regular standard transmission car, you can kind of ease off the clutch and, and gradually make, you know, gradually get into it so that you take off fairly smoothly. And uh, when you're learning how to drive stick, uh, learning how to do that smoothly is not easy. And and with the DCT, uh, you know the DCT is normally optimized for quick gear changes. And so when you're going from zero to first, if you want to quickly do that, it's not going to be smooth. It's going to be it's just going to jolt you forward. Why don't you just start in second? That's an option actually, but um, that might have had the same issue anyway. This is so, like 500 horsepower. This first it has, gear is it's not restful. It's gone. <laughs> it ha- it, but it has like the, some kind of special. Uh, detection where, like, if it detects that you're trying to be gentle on the gas pedal going from zero to first, uh, it will it'll, it'll engage second, yeah. it slowly. Oh. So it it does it like and so that that's good too. So like, if you're parallel parking or something, you can creep, you know, as you as you need to when you're doing small maneuvers like that. So uh, it but so it took me took me a solid day and a half or two days to learn how to do that reliably. It's <laughs> just like a feel thing, you know. But anyway. Uh, yeah, like once you learn how to do that, it it really is an incredibly smooth ride. And and in fact, uh, my wife commented on that a lot too because she is often in the car with me driving stick, and I'm not that great at it that I can be perfectly smooth all the time. Uh, and and so, um, so she even commented how much smoother by far the DCT was compared to the way I usually drive a stick. Um, and I was just so blown away by how fast and awesome it was that I didn't I didn't care about the loss of roughness. Uh, anyway, so driving this thing, you know, as Casey said, the Autobahn is fantastic. One one also little little note that I thought was just one of those little delightful things that's just comically good. Uh, the speedometer in in this new car does not have because it's a U.S. spec car. Normally, U.S. spec cars will have both kilometers per hour and miles per hour markings on them. This one didn't. This one only had uh, miles per hour because it's tested for the U.S., and I guess the new ones just don't do both anymore. So 
I thought, oh, crap, all the speed limit signs are in kilometers per hour. I'm going to have to memorize what all of these translate to in miles per hour to be, to be able to drive legally in, in places that do have speed limits, which is most places. And uh, so I think, I think I mentioned in the, in the extras show that uh, one of the features of this car is a speed limit info feature that actually uses a camera mounted on the rearview mirror. It, scan, it looks forward on the road, and it finds speed limit signs. It detects them just by image recognition. And it tells you what the current speed limit is. And then it matches up that data. Sometimes it'll, it'll have it in the navigation system. Sometimes it'll, it'll know what the speed limit is on certain roads. It'll match it up with the navigation system if it doesn't have a sign or if it hasn't seen a sign in a while. Um, so anyway, uh, this feature, as we're driving, the, you know, the, uh, here I am with a miles per hour meter seeing kilometers per hour signs. It recognized the kilometers per hour signs and converted it for me to miles per hour, rounded to the nearest five. And so all the time I was driving, whenever I saw a speed limit sign, about two seconds later, it would pop up on the heads-up display and on the speedometer, a little icon showing me what the current speed limit was in miles per hour. That is awesome. You, no, you clearly worked. agree. Yeah, no, it worked really well. It, well, from what little I could tell from the back seat. And uh, the other thing I thought was really awesome is that they gave you, and I mean, I guess this isn't surprising, but they gave you the maps for Europe. Because like you said, this is a U.S. spec car. It doesn't usually come with European maps. And the nav was perfectly, from my perspective, was perfectly easy to use. Granted, yeah. every, every road in German is about 350 characters long, or every road name is 350 characters long. Okay. But well, space is two hours very expensive later, there. Spaces are very expensive. And so two hours later, when we finally wore through the iDrive and basically wore it down to a little nubbin because we've been spinning it back and forth constantly, entering all these 350 letters, uh, it actually worked really flawlessly. And I thought that was awesome as well. Yeah. And, and, and the speed limit thing, like it, I, there was never a time, or I think, like, I think twice, it guessed the wrong number or it, or it interpreted something that, that it wasn't supposed to interpret. But like, it's, I mean, it's even smart enough that a lot of the a lot of the roads there will have uh, will have a, a different speed limit if it's raining, and uh, and it's you know it's marked with a different sign. It'll have like you know a speed limit sign and then below it a little rainy car sign. It recognizes that, and it checks in with the windshield wiper system. And if the windshield wipers are on, it'll tell you that speed limit. Otherwise, it'll it'll keep the the big speed limit. I mean, it's it's really crazy good, so unexpectedly good. Anyway, so. It, really, it was really quite easy driving in foreign countries, uh, having both a navigation system and the speed limit recognizer thing, so that there was rarely any doubt as to you know whether what I was doing was legal and, wh- and where the heck we were going. Um, so that was that was quite nice. Uh, technology certainly has made this kind of thing probably way easier, although possibly less adventurous, but but certainly way easier than it probably was in, in the recent past. Well, and to that end, one of us asked you, or maybe you just shared it of, of your own accord, you know, hey, if this was five, ten years ago and navigation wasn't a normal thing, would you have done a European delivery? And, and I mean, at the time, you had said, nah, probably not. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have, you know, because I would have been too intimidated to, to drive in, in unknown foreign countries, especially where I have, you know, extremely limited to no communication abilities, uh, because it's not my home country, and you know, if I if I didn't have a cell phone either, forget about it. But uh, anyway, so 
it, it was just a ridiculously awesome drive. It's a ridiculously awesome car. The Autobahn is is so great and so much fun. And, you know, to some extent, it's just a highway. You know, and, and a highway in one country and a highway in another country, they're, you know, they're, they're mostly the same. But uh, the experience of, of seeing both, both the quality of the roads and, and, and the quality of the drivers... Uh, really, and, and people in Germany think that there's a bunch of idiots on the road, but trust me, you, you don't know. <laughs> trust me. No, you don't. No, uh, you don't. So, I mean, the, the funny thing is I did not see not one instance of an idiot driver. I saw some instances of people getting in the left lane when I didn't think it was really necessary, but it wasn't like people getting in the left lane and slowing down to 20 miles an hour. It was people getting in the left lane trying to pass when I wish they hadn't gotten in front of you. You know, it was nothing. It was nothing egregious and nothing terribly bad. And I didn't see not one instance of anything that could even be mildly construed as road annoyance, let alone let alone road rage. Yeah, I don't think I saw this. I mean, if I caused any, I didn't notice. No, I, and not even just with you. I mean, just in general. A lot of times when I'm driving on, on a long trip, like say to and from your guys's house, you know, you'll see people getting pissed off at each other and tailgating and waving their arms and so on and so forth. And I saw none of that. Yeah, it was I mean, the drivers were unbelievable. Yeah, it it was fantastic, and and the roads are all at least the ones we drove on uh, were just in fantastic shape, and, and so that, and that's why you know we we posed the question to ourselves and then later to Twitter, uh, you know why can't the U.S. do this? Why can't the U.S. have higher or no speed limits on many of its highways? And and, and we got a lot of good answers, and I think part of the answer is just you know our roads are are often not in this good a shape. Um, various, you know, budgetary and priority reasons. Well, that's, uh, that's why our gas is so cheap, <laughs> right? All those gas, all those taxes on the gasoline go to pay to make the roads nice for you to drive on. Oh, oh well, we do have uh, quite a bit of that built into our prices, but obviously not as much as they do. Um, I, I don't know that actually. Well, I don't think it's as much as they do. But so you know, part of it's just you know the roads there. The ones we were on were were very well paved. They weren't full of massive potholes or rough areas. Um, you know, they, they were really in good shape and, and part of it's also just that they, they've, it's, it's always been this way for them, or at least it's been this way for long enough with them. So they're used to it. You know, I, I feel like if you, if you took a section of the U S and, you know, took, took some section of like, you know, I 80 going through Pennsylvania, which is basically the emptiest road in the universe until it gets to Ohio when it gets even emptier. Uh, but you know, some roads I have some experience with. Um, take you know the massive segments of I eighty, where there's very little traffic and just very long stretches of mostly nothingness in a straight line. Uh, you can easily, safely go ninety miles an hour on those easily, and you can probably go faster than that in many in many sections uh, without really any major safety changes. And so obviously, you know, there are places in the U.S. where we could do that, and in Germany, it's not that there's, it's not that the highways never have speed limits. Just you know, large sections of them will have no speed limits. Uh, somebody on Twitter told me that roughly seventy percent of them have speed limits, and so I'm not really sure how accurate that is. You know, one person told me that, but um, that that certainly seemed to match up to what we saw. Um, what's interesting though is that their speed limit. Most the most common speed limit I saw there when it was limited was 130 kilometers per hour, which is roughly 85 miles an hour. 
Uh, I hope that's right. That's that's what the speed limit info told 81. me. Eighty-one. Okay. So <laughs> it told me eighty-five. Oh well. Um, I guess it rounds up to the nearest five. <laughs> well, also consider that I don't know about your BMWs, all three of them at this particular moment, <laughs> but in my one BMW, my pedestrian one BMW. Uh, all kidding aside, my speedometer seems to roll or seems to run about four or five miles an hour fast. So. Uh, 80 miles an hour in my car, uh, as or 80 miles an hour indicated is is about 76 ish actual. Well, that's good. I mean, that's 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 the way. You, that's the direct. If it's going to be an error, you want it to be in that direction. I yeah. wonder if the uh, the snow tires affected your uh, speedo accuracy. Actually, that's a good point. Well, because they are BMW's official rims and tires, and they have like you know custom pressure sensors and everything, I would imagine the car has some way to tell that. Also, this car is. Stock, it runs 19-inch wheels, and, and the 20-inch wheels are an option. So uh, it's possible that it detects which one you're running or there's some kind of setting somewhere. I'm not really sure, um, but it's, I, I, it's, obvi- it's made to run both of those sizes. Um, well, and presumably, even if the circumferences are different between the 19s and the 20, the GPS is going to be accurate regardless. That's true, uh, but it probably isn't tied in. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> um, you know, and one thing I thought was interesting too is in the areas where there was no speed limit, I, I was paying attention to see, well, how fast do people choose to go? Because I think that's an interesting question. Like, okay, if, if it's totally unlimited and your only limits are, you know, practicality, safety, and fuel economy, uh, how fast do people generally choose to go? And, and it seemed like what I, what I mostly saw were people going between 80 and 90. And it didn't really seem that fast. It seemed normal. Everyone was going that same speed, roughly, and uh, and and I mean that in miles, of course. And uh, it it just worked. That was like that was like everyone's like kind of natural cruising speed on these roads. They do that in Atlanta too, but it doesn't feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, like you know, here you know most of the roads around here, um, where the speed limit is sixty-five uh, on the interstates. Uh, I usually see people going about 75 to 80. That seems to be the, the average cruising speed on like the New York Thruway and various large highways around here is roughly 75 to 80. And so it seems like, you know, it seems like we're already going almost that speed. And it, we're just breaking the law. Whereas there, it's usually legal to go that speed. Yeah, it's an income source. Like, it, whenever you take a long trip, everyone is cruising around 75, 80, 85, depending on the car. But then there's these periods of time where everyone goes, slows way, way, way down, and then you go past the cop, and then everyone speeds back up again. Right, It's exactly. like a little dance that you do <laughs> on your way to wherever you're going. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I also thought it was interesting, because uh, we, we were able to visit with a friend of Marco and Tiff's, um, and Marco asked this question to, to his friend, and she had said, what did she say, that she would do somewhere in the range of 90 to 100 uh, miles an hour, is that right? Yeah, she said she would do up to about 180 kilometers, so what, what is that in miles, about 100? That's, I don't know. I'd like 110, something like that? Anyway, yeah, so, and, and yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's about 110. Anyway, regardless, and and I found, you know, when I when I had no limit in this car that can very very easily do these speeds, you know, my the highest speed I reached that I noticed at least the highest speed I reached was about 141, and we actually have a picture of of the speedometer. Uh, thanks, Tiff, uh, <laughs> and it's a really good picture actually. I posted it on Twitter a few days ago. Um, so about 141 was my highest. I found that in the no limit areas, I was most comfortable going about 115. 
And a lot of that, of course, was the, was the, the winter tires. You know, there was, there was a, a good amount of vibration at those speeds that you can feel through the wheels. Um, I would imagine the summer tires would feel squishier at those speeds and, and therefore maybe encourage me to go even faster. But, you know, there's, it's not just you on the road. There's all the other cars on the road. And, you know, you don't want to blow past somebody who's, like, at a stop in the next lane you, you don't want to blow past them at 115. <laughs> like, you know, what if they cut out and go into your lane? You know, you want to leave yourself, leave yourself good amount of, uh, of safety overhead. So I generally found that like, you know, with, with all the no limit stuff, I would, I would generally cruise at about 115. Um, so, you know, we're not, we're not that far off from that here. Like, you know, it, if we could, if we could raise the speed limits here into the 85 range, you know, that's, that's not bad. But normal I, normal cars can't do that though. Like well, normal many people can. cars can't can't do 150 or shouldn't do. I mean, they can. They can hit that speed, but it feels like the world's going to end. Right. Like well, they should yeah. not be. You shouldn't take your like. In, none of my cars that I own should I ever be going <laughs> 115 in ever in any circumstance. Not because they can't attain that speed, but because it was like at that point the wheel will be shaking, the steering will feel like it's disconnected from the road, and like <laughs> in any second, the, it's not. I mean, cars. That's the biggest a big problem. I think the. The, maybe it's, I don't know, I've seen some stats on this, but every time I see pictures of Europe and stuff, people seem to have not nicer cars, not bigger cars, not more powerful cars, but like either better maintained or newer looking cars. Because I see lots of giant, rusted out, hunk of junk cars around here that they shouldn't even be going 80, let alone 100 and something. Do you have state inspections there? And are they very strict? We do, but it's you know, it's a scam. I mean, you know, like anyway, I, I look at cars on the road, I'm like, there's no way that that <laughs> passed. In, but it does, you know, you just find the guy who will, you know, give right. you your inspection thing, or you just you just don't get it inspected and just, you know, press your luck. And yeah. <laughs> Although the one thing I will say is, and this might all be in my head, but especially when we were in the cities, like within Munich, I feel like the the emissions regulations in Europe must be considerably less strict than in America because I felt like everywhere I went, I smelled exhaust. And I don't know, Marco, did you notice that as well? But there was, yeah, like I, there was more, certainly more than I smell here. Right, exactly. Which even di- like, isn't their diesel, their diesel standards are not as crazy as ours, which is why yeah. they can all get away with driving diesel. So com- combination of lower standards for diesel admission and way, way, way more diesels gives you, you know, exactly. And, that, and that's also why a lot of the great diesel models can't make it over to the U.S. because they don't pass our certifications and it's not worth the manufacturers, you know, doing what it takes to pass them uh, for the for the few Americans who buy diesels. Um, so anyway. Uh, yeah, I did notice that, and that's weird because you would expect Europe to have more strict standards than us. Like that's yeah. usually mm-hmm. how it works with environmental stuff, um, but but in this case, they actually uh, yeah, that, I, I did notice that, and that that was definitely uh, odd. But anyway, so and and I, I should say too, if anyone's interested in this topic, uh, who knows if you are. If you're not, sorry. Um, driving 140 and and at these speeds that high. Uh, on a road that's made to be driven fairly fast, uh, isn't really that. It doesn't really feel that crazy. It it feels it feels intense to some degree. Like it's it's more it's more exhausting of your concentration, and it's more mentally exhausting because you are going so much faster. You know you're going so much faster. You need to concentrate harder on keeping the car straight and steady. And and making sure you don't hit anything, or making sure you're minimizing your chances of hitting somebody else. Like as I said earlier, you know you gotta you gotta wonder like if somebody if I'm passing somebody 
and I'm going 30 miles an hour faster than they are, you know, what happens if they decide to quickly change into my lane and they don't see how fast I'm coming up? You know, and do I, you know, do I, will I have time to see that and slow down, et cetera? So those kind of considerations make it more stressful and more mentally draining. But that's really the extent of it. Like if you're in a car made for that, or at least if, if your car is not rattling and falling apart uh, at those speeds, um, that for me is what I found to be the biggest challenge was just, um, just mentally keeping up with it. And but otherwise it was it was quite awesome. <laughs> yeah, and and it was interesting to be in the back seat while all this was going on because, to be honest, the difference between American highway speeds and unlimited autobahn speeds was that the wind was louder. Other than that, <laughs> right. it really didn't seem that different. And in fact, when we slowed down to American highway speeds, I felt like we were doing like thirty miles an hour. I, it felt slow. Oh, it was excruciating. It felt it was it was terrible from the back seat, and I mean, it, let's be honest. If I was going to choose a car to be in the back seat of, it, I would choose a car with rear heated seats, with rear dual zone climate, with an engine that had infinite power from any RPM in any gear. I mean, it was it was it was a lovely place to be, even in the back seat. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an incredible vehicle. You know, I, I don't want to harp too much on it because. I know we're going to get a whole bunch of people who think I'm a total d- for buying an expensive car, and and that's that's warranted. I am a total d- and I and I apologize for being a total, d- but oh well. Um, yeah, I can't do anything about it now. <laughs> so so you know I don't want to harp too much on the car, but it is a ridiculously great car, and it has totally ruined my three series uh, by a long shot. Now coming back to it, totally ruined that car. And, and I like that car a lot. Now, have you driven the 1M since the trip? I, in fact, I drove it today for the first time. And how was that? You know, it, w- it was interesting. It, first of all, it, it, it was not ruined by the M5. Um, Good. I, I, still, I still love driving it. However, it still is... And I, I even thought briefly during the ride, you know, maybe I should try to keep it somehow. And, and keep it with the M5. And keep having three cars. Um... But as much as I, because it is, it is an incredible amount of an amount of power. The M5 has more power, but the the 1M is an incredible amount of power in a very small, nimble car. And the M5 is many things, but it is not small. And uh, and so I thought briefly, you know, I should really maybe consider this. But then then I went over the other half of the trip, <laughs> the, the way home. Uh, was so incredibly rough and bumpy from the terrible roads here. Uh, and, and the 1M is really, really firm. And so to go over rough you know, rough potholes and stuff and old pavement is, is pretty uncomfortable in the 1M. And, uh, and going over that, I realized, you know what? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I think you know, it, it, it is a great car. I have so much fun with it. But as I've mentioned in previous shows, having three cars is greatly annoying to me, or you know, having two primaries my, myself is greatly annoying to me, and uh, it, it has many small and large annoyances every single day, and uh, it's just, as great of a car as it is, it's not worth it to me. If I, if I have something as awesome as the M5, um, it's not worth it to me. So uh, I'm going to uh, sell it. Anyway, so... Uh, I forget where else I wanted to go with. Oh yeah, so the other place we went with the M5. So so we we did we did we did our trip around Europe and it was a blast. Uh, one of the places we stopped 
was uh, to visit our friend in Bonn. And Bonn is only about 45 minutes from Nurburg. And uh, most people listening to this show have probably heard of a track in Nurburg. Now, whatever you think of the Nurburg ring and of cars, you know, being made for it and being optimized for it and the kinds of people who, who drive the Nurburg ring, uh, I would suggest if you ever have a chance to do it, if you're ever in the area uh, with a car that you can drive on or if you're willing to rent one, which they have services that you can rent cars to drive on the ring, um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And so here, the Nurburgring is not explained very well. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> uh, we, so we, we, we went, I went to the Nurburgring site and found its address and GPS coordinates. And, and so I found its address and typed into the GPS. Oh, it had it. Great. Um, turns out that the Nurburgring, I knew it was two tracks. There's like the Grand Prix one, and then oh, I'm so sorry for the pronunciation. The Nordschleff. I don't know. That's the, when people refer to the Nurburgring, they're usually referring to the Nordschleff, which is like the 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 long 13 mile, uh, very twisty, turny track. Um, Does it mean like North Circuit or North something like Road that. or something like that? Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> um, so the place called Nurburgring on the GPS system was for the Grand Prix circuit. It was like it was like this giant like info building and like gift shop and all this stuff for the Grand Prix event. Roller events. coaster. Yeah, exactly. It was it was like a little mini theme park. Um so we we it, it took us a good 45 minutes to find the, the to find out how to get the little credit card thing that lets you onto the track and then to find the entrance to the track. We had to like run in and ask people. Uh, it, it was it was a it was comical. We we barely made it in time to get any laps in, and they're only open for like two hours at night on weekdays uh, for to the public. The rest like the whole day they're booked by private people, and they're open they're open to the public in the evenings. And none of the posted times were accurate. Like the website said they were open from five thirty five thirty to seven thirty. Turns out they're open from five fifteen to seven fifteen, and the and the ticket office closes at five. Like there's all sorts of like little crazy, <laughs> crazy little like gotchas in the process. Uh, and oh, you have to go. You have to get the ring card from this machine, but that machine's broken or that machine's closed. And then you get the ring card. You put the money in the ring card, but it rejects your credit card because the interface sucks. And then you <laughs> you finally get the money on the credit card, and you go try to pull up and get into the ring, but you didn't get worth the money into laps. And you could go to a different machine for that. <laughs> it was, it, it was comical. To John's point, I think, John, you had asked early on, when did things go wrong? Things went very wrong at the Nürburgring. Yeah, and, and, and not uh, even not in the collision sense, but in the sense of just trying to find it and get on it. Was Were you, were you trying to get on the, the, the Formula One short thing or the big no, long No, the big one? thing. The big, one, right, the big right. long one. And it was just – it was impossibly poorly signed. <laughs> there was an assumption that you knew what you were doing before you even got there. Right. Um, it was just it was not well done, which maybe is why they're bankrupt. Right. It is but, it is not noob friendly at all. No. <laughs> Although I will say it was pretty it was a pretty good sign when we decided to fuel up before the Nurburgring, which I know all the real race car drivers are like, Jesus Christ, why did you do that right before you went on the track? But we wanted to make sure we had enough gas. And so we pull into this gas station and I think I tweeted a picture of like six or seven different Porsches, a Ferrari of some flavor. I John, I'm sorry, I don't recall what what it, what it was. There was a one series ad 
them, like two two spots down. There must have been an easy. No, was there a Lamborghini? I didn't see. I don't. Well, it doesn't matter. The point is, there was like one or two million dollars worth of cars at this like kind of junky gas. A very small gas station. You know, it had like six pumps. You know, exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) it was crazy. But anyway, so eventually, Marco and and Tiff and Aaron and I uh, figure out how to get onto the ring. Yeah. And so Marco, of course, goes first. Yeah, and and it was. You know, we we were prepped early on by by lots of our various internet friends, uh, and, and I had actually I had purchased um, I think Forza Four, what, whatever Xbox racing game has the Nurburgring in it, and it's fairly recent. I think it's Forza Four. Um, I don't know much about those those, uh, so sorry if I got it wrong. But I had purchased this game like three months ago, knowing I was going to try to drive the Nurburgring just to try to train myself on it a little bit, just to familiarize myself with the track, just to know, you know, what turns were coming up. And, and, and I, at the time I posted about this on Twitter, first asking, you know, what game I should get to do this, and then, you know, later on, just seeing responses from people asking how that was going. And by far the most common response I got after I got through all the people fighting over whether Gran Turismo or Forza was the better game to get um, because I, I have a PS3, and so I, I said, okay, I can do either of these systems. You know, what, what should I get? Oh my God, don't don't ask about video game rivalries on Twitter. It is so so unhelpful. But anyway, <laughs> the most common response I got besides that was, "Don't even bother. It won't help you at all because this track has like seventy something turns." Uh, you're not going to learn it from a video game. It, people who drive it every day for years don't know it. Like it. You know, it, don't even bother, is is what these people usually said. And and overall, I can say that was exactly correct. That all my video game training for this track was completely unhelpful in real life. Of course, in real life, it's way easier than a video game because you know you're controlling a real car. It's just way easier than than driving a video game car. Of course, the penalties are higher if you hit the wall. But uh, overall, uh, it was awesome. It was, we were scared out of our minds, and we didn't drive it very fast. I think we, we didn't measure most of the laps, because another thing people said online was, don't even bother timing your laps, because then they'll encourage you to go faster, and you don't need that kind of encouragement your first time on the, on the ring in your own car. Uh, and that was also very wise. Uh, so we did not time our laps, except for Casey snuck in a time of the last lap, uh, which, which was about 15 minutes. And, and it felt... We, we had passengers in the car for every lap. Obviously, when you're driving, it feels different. When you're a passenger, though, you can kind of get an idea for, you know, how, how well you're doing. And and uh, it seemed like all the laps we did were roughly the same time range. So I, I think we all managed about 15-minute laps, um, which I was very happy with. But so anyway, one, one, one problem we had was, okay, we got there, and there was like an hour and a half left of time that the track was open. And we had four people, and we knew we wanted to do at least two laps, at least me and Casey. And the wives were both kind of on the fence whether they wanted to do it or not. They were going to wait and see. And so I did my lap. It was ridiculous. It was oh, it was so awesome. And again, you know, we're doing like 15-minute laps. We weren't even going that fast. You know, I think most of the time we were going maybe 50 miles an hour through a lot of the turns and through a lot of the sections or, or less. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I went fast on the Autobahn. Really, like my top speed on the Nurburgring at that big straightaway at the end was like 120. You know, I, like I, I've got, I went faster on the Autobahn than I did on the Nurburgring. By the way, the uh, the lap uh, the record for the long track is uh, six minutes eleven seconds. Yeah, 
to give you an idea of how fast the crazy fast people are going. Right. And I, and I think I think people in this exact car uh, I think they've done it in like 7.55 or 7 something in in the 7 minute range. Um, but regardless, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, we were, we were doing it to do it, not to get a good time on it. Um, were there other people on the track who were going really fast that you had to get yes. out of the way of? <laughs> the, the, we, oh, yes. we lucked out, though, that it wasn't very crowded. There, there weren't that many cars. I, I would say for each 15-minute lap, we were probably passed by maybe 10 people at most. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a large number, and there weren't a lot of people there. Did, did you see any uh, super exotics? Um, not really. There were there were a lot of uh, Porsche nine elevens and uh, a lot of them. A, a few M threes and a couple of like little hot hatches that that I didn't recognize. There was a Corvette. Yeah, there was one Corvette. I and, don't know if you uh, would classify that as exotic, and one, but it was exotic. ZR one. It's kind yeah. of exotic to see one no, in Germany. I don't think it was a ZR one. I didn't get a good look. We were surprised to see it in Germany, and uh, and there was one really decked out Lexus uh, ISF that was just being obviously being driven by somebody very either very good or very stupid uh, i th- probably just very good because uh, that car passed us faster than any car we saw that day <laughs> yeah, maybe it was a factory test driver no but i think i got a picture of it and it was actually a rental car so <laughs> wow i don't like i, I believe I, I might be wrong about this it was an orange isf and it was our very last lap which is when aaron was driving and it it was followed reasonably closely by a modern M3, but just like Marco said, far and away, in my opinion, the quickest thing that passed us was that ISF. It blew our doors off. And again, like Marco said, it's important to know that we were, I, I can only speak for myself, but I was driving at like five tenths because A, it's a car I've never been in. B, I've never driven on a track before. C, it's still under break-in, you know, I don't, and, and D, it's on winter tires. I mean, there was a, it was a confluence of reasons not to drive like an idiot. And, and especially, I don't want Marco to never talk to me again after I wrap his M5 around a pole <laughs> because I drove like a moron. Right. So, uh, I mean, we were all driving like grandmas, but it was still one of the coolest experiences yeah. I've ever had in my entire and, life. And what made it great, too, is that all four of us drove. Me and Casey drove, and both of our wives drove. And 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 you know Casey, Casey, your wife is is a pretty confident driver. My wife is is medium confidence. Uh, you know, not not especially confident about driving, um, but not you know not scared, just right in the middle. I was going to ask uh, who which which one of you felt the least inhibited. You would think Marco would feel the least inhibited. He'd say it's his car; he can do whatever he wants with it. But on the other hand, it's his car, and maybe he'd baby it. So I was thinking that, that uh, before hearing that uh, Tiff is kind of a timid driver, that she would be the one most willing to flog it because hey, it's not her car, and if she breaks it, what is he going to do? Tiff actually, <laughs> had I measured our times, I bet she did a faster lap than I did. Because she she took some of the turns faster than I was willing to. Because I had I did the first lap, and and so when I was driving it, we didn't really know what to expect with things like other people being on the track, things like track conditions. Um, like like there was one part of the track that had snow on the shoulder because it was in the shade, and you know it was, anyway. Like there were you know we didn't know what the conditions would be. We didn't know what it would be you know how it would be in real life. We didn't know if it would be full of crazy motorcyclists or anything like we had no idea. Um, and so my lap was the very first lap, so I was overly cautious. Um, I think, and I'm very I'm perfectly fine having having done that. Like I I lost grip for a split second on one turn, and that was the only time I lost grip uh, at all. And 
I don't. I didn't notice anyone. I was in the car for all four laps. I didn't notice anyone else losing any grip. But you had all the so uh, the electric nannies were on though, right? Yes. Oh yeah. I would not. I I, I know that's probably t- terrible for purists. I didn't even use the M dynamic mode that the M cars have to l- allow a little bit of slip and then get back on track. I didn't even turn that on because I knew, like, you know what, this is. Because I, we were also told uh, by our friend, and I think this is true, that uh, insurance doesn't really apply if something happens to you on the Nurburgring. Uh, so, and more than that, if we bust the ring, it's on us to fix it. Yeah, like, like they bill us to fix the. Nurburgring. Yeah, if you like, if you hit the wall, they'll they'll bill you to repair the wall. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, obviously, repairing your car is probably more money than that. Uh, so, you know, we were we were nervous. You know, I was nervous because of unfamiliarity with this and not wanting to wreck my car and everyone else was nervous to not wreck my car <laughs> and so yeah, very much so. Uh, that's what was I was saying, except for maybe tiff well yeah, she was too is, and it was funny because aaron went last it was it was marco then me then tiff then aaron and i actually feel to my to my butt dino as they say i actually feel like aaron was the one that drove hardest in I don't know if that's because I was in the front for that lap, and so I could see it a little better, whereas I... I, I well, no, I was in the well, front for your you lap, You weren't too. in the car for Tiff's lap. <laughs> I wasn't in the car for... I was not in the car for Tiff's lap, so I can't speak for how hard she was driving, but I think both Tiff and Aaron had the benefit of having been through at least one or two laps beforehand. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and I think you would have driven a lot harder. I don't know if I had the, the cojones to drive any harder than I did, and I drove like a grandmother. I'll be the first to admit it. Um, but I, I, there were a couple times where I reached for my, my brake in the passenger seat when Aaron was driving. And I, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, I, I, I was very proud of her. I was very excited for how well she did. Did you um, find yourself but, reaching for a stick shift occasionally or pressing your left foot down? <laughs> I did not actually. I think when I started the car, I put my foot on the clutch, except there was no clutch. But other than that, I didn't. And again, I mean, at this point now I'm, I have driven the M5 and I would still, personally love to have a clutch it's slower it's clunkier but it's just more involved with that said and i'm going to butcher the simpsons quote you know i for one welcome our future dct overlords i mean i i never thought i'd say this but if if the m5's transmission is where our future is i'll be sad but i'll be okay with it it is really unbelievably incredibly awesomely great i cannot say enough good things about it and by all accounts, the stick on the M5 is not a good stick Correct. By, by any standards, let alone BMW standards. So well, yeah, not, I'm not, not really much of a choice there. Do, I mean, I, so the reviews have, have all pretty much panned the M5 stick, but they, they seem to pan it in in relation to the DCT. I mean, it, it, is, it, is it that it's a bad stick or is it that the it DCT is like that it's good? A, it seems like it's a bad stick. Like, that, you know, it, I, especially when you're, you're reading magazines that are enthusiast magazines and they say, look, we know it's slower or whatever, but we find it more enjoyable. They're like, we don't find it more fun to drive. Like, so there's no reason to get this. The DCD is better in all these other ways, and this isn't even more fun. It's, it's you know, it's a chore. It's yeah, not- and on the, um, on the prior M5, whose model designation I don't recall, but the V10 M5, everything I read was that the standard transmission, which, by the way, for both that car and Marco's F10, is only available in America. Everyone said on the prior gen that the standard transmission was very poorly suited for the V10 engine. 
And I never really looked into why that was, and so I, I couldn't even tell you. But they said it was a bad combination. I guess the gearing was bad as paired with that engine. And I don't know if that's related for, for the F10 like Marco has, but I tell you what, that, that transmission was incredible. And, and driving the Nürburgring was just unbelievably awesome. And I am so thankful that, that, we were all able, that, that any of us were able to do it. I would have been happy if Marco did it and said to us, you know what, we got to go. <laughs> but I, thankfully, he was dumb enough to hand me the keys, figuratively speaking, and then dumb enough to, well, I can't speak for Tiff, but to hand Aaron the keys as well. And I, that's not an insult on her driving. Just, I mean, <coughs> it's one thing to have your wife destroy your brand new car. It's another thing to have your friend or your friend's wife destroy, destroy your brand new car. So uh, it was it was phenomenal. And it was funny because, Tiff, and Marco was starting to say this earlier, you know, Tiff was kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to go. Right. And, you know, and, and then, she actually, so I went first, then Casey went. Tiff was all along from my lap, got very intimidated, and sat out for Casey's lap. And what made her get back in and decide she wanted to do it is that she saw the kind of cars that were getting on the track. And it wasn't just all crazy racer nuts. It was, like, families and, like, people with, like, car seats in their car <laughs> and, like, you know, like, regular people just getting on to have some fun, you know, and not to drive crazily. And she could also see, like how relatively few cars were getting on the track. And so it was, it was not crowded, which made it very, very friendly towards newbies. And, uh, and even, you know, when somebody crazy wants to pass you, there's etiquette. You, you signal right, and you, slow, and you stay to the right, and that tells them, okay, I'm going to let you pass me. And they pass you, and that's it. It's really easy. And, uh, and so, like, it's not really a problem that there's different skill levels and different speeds going on. And... At least when we were there, there was really nobody being like unsafely crazy. I mean, I know that happens, but we saw in a state that it was extremely newbie friendly once you could figure out where the heck the entrance was. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other nice thing was we had all decided about 100 yards into Marco's lap that, hey, you know, what we'll do is anyone who is not driving will at least periodically look behind us and start to let the driver know there's somebody approaching you at 15 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds. All right, get right. And that helped me. I can't speak for anyone else, but it helped me a lot. Yeah, that helped a lot. Because, because this way you don't have to worry about what's behind you. All you care about is what's in front of you. And just like Marco said, the etiquette is you if you're going to get past, you stay to the right, even if that's the inside line. You signal to the right as an indicator to the person behind you, I understand you're here and you're going to pass me. And then the other thing I noticed, which I hadn't heard in advance, was a lot of times they would signal to the left as kind of a confirmation, as, a, as a, you know, an act that they've seen you seeing them, which, as silly as that sounds, was actually also really, really helpful to see and know that everyone is in agreement. You're about to get your doors blown off, but you know if you stick to the right side of the track, everyone will be okay. Right, and and people who are who are good slash crazy enough to go around the track really fast, they're accustomed to passing people all the time because they have to, you know, because that's because there's always going to be, you know, like no matter what speed you go, you're going to pass people. Except us, I don't think we had to pass anybody the entire time. <laughs> I don't think any of us did. <laughs> Again, I wasn't with Tiff, but I don't think I'm any. Pretty of the sure we didn't pass anybody. <laughs> And there were a lot of really, really comparatively crummy cars that passed us. Like, a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, Casey got passed by what we, what we charitably are calling a crossover, but it, it was a minivan. It really <laughs> was. That is not a lie. And I'm okay with it because, again, I am just so thankful that we were able to do it, and I am so thankful that not a one of us wrapped Marco's car around a pole. I am also thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, it was... 
I, I, we should wrap it up pretty soon, but I, I think it was uh, it was just an incredible experience doing European delivery, driving this particular car, you know, especially, and uh, and being on these roads, being on the autobahn, be you know driving in the Alps, being uh, you know going to the Nurburgring and. It was it was just incredible, and if you have, if you're already buying an UBMW, which I recognize, that's that's a big barrier. But if you're if you're buying, financing, or leasing a new BMW that is produced in Europe, which rules out, I believe, the X3 and the X5. Um, but regardless, uh, you know, if if you can do this, I highly recommend that you do. And you almost you almost did the Ferris Bueller quote. Almost, we'll give you partial credit. Okay. <laughs> if you have the means, I highly suggest. It. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's, it's really you know cost wise, the higher end car you buy, the more money you save because it's a percentage. In many cases, it can cover most or all of the cost of the trip, just the savings alone. So you so if you have the time, and if you're willing to go out here and do this, it's almost a no brainer, and, and certainly. You know, because this this car is going to be a lease. Um, if I don't buy it at the end of the lease, and, and I, if I if I decide to lease something else, if I'm still buying BMWs in three years, I would almost certainly do this again. I mean, it's really quite good. And I think Aaron and I will invite ourselves along, whether or not we're welcome. And, and it was funny because the, so we did the Nurburgring on Thursday. Uh, Friday, basically, all we needed to do was get to Munich, and then Saturday we dropped the car off and, and left. And I think doing the Nurburgring at the tail end of the trip and doing it in the way we did, we were very lucky because, you know, the trip was already really fun. And I, and I can only speak for Aaron and I, but we were having a really good time. But I feel like all four of us, once we, once we got out of the driver's seat of that car, just were on this unbelievable high. And it was such a wonderful, incredible experience. Even without the Nurburgring, I agree that European delivery is worth it. It's cool. It's a once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity. But... Having done the Nurburgring especially, even driving it like a 90-year-old, it was so phenomenally awesome. And I felt like all of us were on such a high. I'm still there. You know, and it's been almost a week now later. Uh, it was the most, one of the most incredible things I've ever done. And then after the Nurburgring, we, we stayed at this wonderful bed and breakfast not far from there. And then we went to this really nice hotel in Munich that was right near the airport and just kind of chilled and, and, and had some time with each other. And it was it was really phenomenal, and, and I'm so glad that Marco and Tiff were dumb enough to, to invite uh, me along. I'm sure they probably would have invited Aaron anyway, but in, dumb enough to invite me along. <laughs> yeah, we're going to invite your uh, wife, but not you. <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't fault you. Everyone likes her more anyway. But uh, no, all kidding. I mean, it was truly, it was an unbelievable experience. I'm a little sad that, John, you weren't there as well, but... You know, it is what it is. I know you don't believe in vacations or traveling. But I was really hoping that we that we would see John and his Civic on the Nurburgring. Uh, I was I was going to post a picture, of, take a picture of my speedo when I was traveling on the uh, the road that runs along the river on my way to work, where the speed limit is thirty, and there's a police officer there every single day. <laughs> so I take a picture of me having it pinned at thirty, which I can do like now, you know, without even looking at the speedometer. As I slowly go down, which would actually a fun, it would actually be a fun road to drive quickly on because it's kind of windy. It's just a little tiny strip, but uh, yeah, that that's what I was doing, keeping it exactly at thirty. Well, if it makes you feel better, we got to JFK, got in a taxi after leaving JFK, and promptly did five miles an hour on I don't remember what road we were on, but it was it was sobering. Yeah, it, it was it was welcome back to the U.S. <laughs> 
And screw you. Uh, no, it was, it was bad. Uh, a couple other quick notes that I just wanted to share, because I know we, it, I'm very pleased to say it seems like we have a decent amount of European listeners, and oftentimes when they're not correcting us about how wrong we are about Europe, which is pretty much all the time. Um, deservedly so. All, and deservedly so. Yeah, they've, all, they've often asked, you know, what do you, or, or certainly since we were there, what do you think? What did you enjoy? What did you, what did you think about everything? I know that I was very stressed about whether or not people would speak English, and I think I speak for everyone saying that. Um, I found, in my personal opinion, that everywhere we went, almost everyone spoke at least conversational English. In my experience, uh, usually people that apologized profusely for how bad their English was were effectively fluent in English. It was hysterical. Oh, that was the best. You know, the, I'm so sorry yeah. my English is so bad after they've talked you know, a, an entire paragraph in perfect, flawless English. <laughs> Yep. Better than Marco or me or our wives. You know, it was <laughs> Better than many Americans. <laughs> yep. Um, everything was extremely clean, with the exception of the uh, exhaust that we had talked about earlier. And that, wasn't a, it, that was a smell issue, not a, not a visual issue. Everything was unbelievably clean. Um, the Hofbrau House in Munich, uh, it's uh, one of the beer gardens, probably the most famous beer garden in Munich. Even as a non-beer drinker, that was unbelievably fun and cool. And, and it, it was neat to meet people from all different countries and, and walks of life there. I mean, I really had an unbelievable time, and, and I would absolutely go back. And I can't agree more with Marco that if you have the means, I highly suggest trying it. It is unbelievably fun. Yeah, and, and you know, it's – for an American, as you said, it's, it's, a, it's an easy place to go because English is so widely spoken. And you, know, you can get along with knowing almost no German at all. And, and you know you can you can learn you'll, you'll pick up a few phrases uh, you know and a few words like from road signs and stuff but you know you can you can get around without it and and I mean the food we we didn't have I don't think we had a single bad meal when we were no, there and definitely not and in in a wide variety of like hotels and restaurants and and different places um, the food is just really incredibly good and you know like. <laughs> Like now, like today, I, I bought a bag of pretzels, and and I know it's because I'm I'm trying so hard to recreate one aspect of the food that I liked so much there, which is the breakfast pretzel, um, which I, which you can't find these in the U.S. That you you just can't find a pretzel that good. But uh, like you know, no one in the U.S. ever is like, oh, what kind of food do you want tonight? Italian, Mexican? How about German? Like no, I never. No one ever thinks of that as like one of the one of the common restaurant ethnicity targets to 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 want if you're going out for, for dinner but but man it's really good and i think it's a shame that we don't have more german uh food coming over here and, and being served here because it is just so good and that uh, was yeah so the food's great the people were great everyone's in oh, they were so friendly like the gentleman at the uh, coffee shop the the four of us were theorizing about things to do i think this was our first day yep. there so this was sunday and there was a gentleman that was sitting seated at the table next to us who was uh, I, I wouldn't say eavesdropping by any stretch it's just we were within three feet of him so he couldn't have not listened and so we were talking about oh, what, should, what should we do tomorrow, and he took it upon himself in the most polite and kind way possible to have like a 20-minute conversation with us about what we should do, and oh, this is going to be closed, but this isn't, and man, I bet you'd really like this, and oh my god, it was so fantastic. And everyone we met was like that. They were all so nice and so helpful. It was really incredible. Right, like it wasn't, it, none of these were isolated incidents. Like everybody was this good. All the all the roads were this good. All the drivers were this good. All of the food was this good. All the hotels were like I mean, 
it's it was just a fantastic trip and, and again uh, we can't recommend it highly enough so john you coming next time uh maybe if you teleport me <laughs> oh the plane wasn't that bad i don't think i would mind being in germany oh the plane wasn't <laughs> that is that a glowing bad. recommendation Yes, yeah, I don't think I would mind being there. <laughs> it's the traveling there and the traveling back. That's it was problem. a one. It was a direct flight. It's no different than LA. Or this, sorry, not LA. It's no different than San Francisco. And the way there, you sleep, longer. or you're supposed to sleep the whole time. I'm telling you, John, you can do it, and it's worth it. We'll we'll argue we'll argue about it over the next three years until the lease is up. <laughs> oh man, well, I guess we should right. probably wrap it up. Is that it? I think that's it. I mean, I don't know. Do you have any closing remarks, John? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, unless you want to explain why we're why this is the last episode for now. Well, you know, we uh, we, we had started this out as uh, we we called it a podcast mini series, and you know, we, we John and I had both recently done our, our respective shows at five by five, and they had each gone for. Uh, well, his went for exactly 100 episodes. Mine went for like 108. Um, so we had just done these long-running shows. And, and one of the reasons why I stopped my show at 5x5 was because I, was, it, I felt it was getting too repetitive and I was running out of like original topics to talk about and original things to say. And, and uh, I just needed a break from it. And... I didn't want to start up a car show that was going to go on for two years and be about just all the news of the day. You know, like I, I didn't want to get myself or you guys into that um, because it's just so it's just a very big uh, commitment. And uh, and we didn't want to be that kind of show where we're just talking about news um, because none of us as as the the feedback emails and uh, iTunes reviews have often suggested um, none of us are experts enough to really have like a car news show of much interest to people. Um, so we wanted to just be like a general fun thing, and we wanted to go into it from the beginning as like a, a, a short, like a limited run concept of we aren't starting this thing up to go indefinitely. We start, we're starting it up to go X episodes, and then you know we'll see what happens then, and we'll probably end it. And so the original number we gave was eight. And then roughly at like episode six or seven, we decided, you know what, we still have a lot more to say. Let's bump it forward a little bit more. Uh, but we could see like the end was in sight. And so this is now episode 12. We decided back in episode 10, uh, we decided roughly uh, to end it here. And, and I think this is good because I think we covered all of the major general purpose topics we wanted to cover. Is that, is that fair to say? I think so. I mean, I think it's funny because I was sort of kind of the self-appointed topic maven, guru, dictator guy. And obviously we all contributed topics here and there, but I've kept a list and I still have a list of topics to talk about, but it's things that nobody wants to listen to. Like, hey, let's discuss what our favorite Top Gear episodes are and, and equally boring things like that. And the Let me last tell you about this dream three, I had. Yeah, exactly. And the last two or three episodes, I've we've all gotten on Skype together, and I have not had any particular agenda or arc or anything to talk about. And we've been lucky enough that between the three of us, somebody's been able to come up with something worth talking about. But just like you said, Marco, we don't we don't want to beat the horse that may already have been dead before we even started the podcast. Exactly. Uh, we don't want to, we don't want to beat it any further. And 
and I can only speak for myself, but I've had a really wonderful time. And the listeners, by and large, although there, there are many that point out how ignorant we are, and that's <laughs> frankly pretty well deserved. Oh, we love them too. Um, we love them too, but all of the listeners, I, I, I know we really appreciate it. And, we, and, and by and large, we've gotten a lot of unbelievably positive and, and welcome feedback. And, and I thank every single one of you uh, for, for dealing, dealing with me and everyone else for however many hours the show is run. Yeah, I think maybe we weren't clear enough that it was going to be a limited run because now that people are knowing this is ending, we are getting the people coming out of the woodwork saying, "Oh, you know, <laughs> don't stop the show is my favorite podcast." Or you know, well, well, like we said it, like I said it in all the introductory blog posts. I always said a mini series. I and, know, but, they but didn't, no it was never that. in the audio of the show. Yeah, that's where it had to be, right? For, for people to. I mean, maybe did we ever mention it in the audio? I don't even. Remember no, I did. don't think so. It was so prominent in all of our minds, and it was on the website and everything that it just seemed we just assumed everybody knew, but clearly they. Not so. If you're finding out now, surprise. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. No, it's uh, it's been really great. Actually, yeah, probably. You want to use that? (laughs) Yeah, we should. Oh God, we're such amateurs. I love it. That's fantastic. I did you see the the review recently? There was like, uh, there's no intro and no outro. I'm like, there's the car door. Why does no one hear the car door? There's some sort of car door deafness (laughs) striking down podcast. It's a car. I thought that was so clever when I heard the car noise in the first episode, and no one they're they're completely inaudible to everyone else apparently.